Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I am H.A. Conrad, here with my amazing companion and co-host, Ali Matsu. Hello, Ali. Conrad, we're on episode 70. Yes, after a somewhat long hiatus due to nuptials and Comic-Cons. And Comic Cons and travel and, and moving and travel and you know we're very proud to announce that Nerd Hour is now exclusively coming at you from Brooklyn, New York. What what Brooklyn? Yeah, no. which is Sleep. awesome. And Tell it also Brooklyn. means it also means we can go and get Ample Hills ice cream all the time. Oh my gosh! I think we should do a whole episode on Ample Hills ice cream. They are nerdy folks. They um, are nerdy ice cream folks, and I appreciate <laughs> what their nerdiness brings to this world, which is oh, something man. an ice cream called Munchy Mix, which is incredible. <laughs> what's your favorite? What's your favorite? Oh my gosh! I've only been there twice, so I don't have all the flavors memorized. But I like the one that has the cake with the ice cream on top, and then the fudge, the ooey gooey ice, the ooey gooey cake in the middle. Oh, um, is it like that? It's like that butter cake, right? Yes. Yeah, that's yes. pretty good. Too. It's like cake made out of butter. They it's also have an incredible peppermint patty ice cream. Oh, so good. Which is really good. So good. But but I digress. But we're not talking about ice cream. We are not we are talking about Marvel's Ant-Man which just came out this past Friday. And yeah. um I am excited to hear what you think about this. I think um, we got a good amount of stuff to talk about we and do. we've got a wild nostalgic crossover. Yeah. What's the crossover today, Connor? Uh, in the crossover, we have Ant-Man versus Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And <laughs> the question we will be debating is which film uses the minuscule perspective uh, to to utilize the best storytelling. So, Gosh, that's, that's going to be... That's going to be interesting. I never thought we were going to get Honey, I Shrunk the Kids of the crossover, but boom, there it is. And then we're also going to be talking, inspired by the lovely ants in Ant-Man, we're going to be talking about top five animal companions slash sidekicks. So we've Which, got- you know, I, I do have to point out, ants aren't technically animals. They are insects. But, yeah, it, but I'll give it to you. They're non-humans. All right. Um, but that you the term animal... It's very specific. Just saying, you just know, being nerdy yeah, I, about it. No, yeah, and I, I, I'm going to have a big question to ask you about that one because I had a hard time with my top five trying to figure out what qualifies as animal or not. I cheated but, all over the place in my top five, so yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so well, you'll you'll have fun with me in this one. What else um, is new? <laughs> um, <laughs> but so, anyway, let's let's uh, let's get into it. So, so Ant Man. Um, I did you did have you, any expectations well, going into this? Because I, no, I admit I, I was I was dragging my feet, screaming and yelling about going to see this. You know, I, I didn't know what to make of this, Conrad, because uh, I had heard murmurings about this. You know, this project has been in development for a long time. And I heard about like Edgar Wright being involved in this, who's a guy who's championed this for a long time. I love him from Scott Pilgrim. I think you probably love him from the Coronado trilogy, probably. Uh, Coronado. Coronado. See, I don't know. Uh, Uh, And Shaun of the Dead. So, yes, I mean, this has been... Uh, almost almost 10 years that this has been in development and that he was tied to the project. And then we heard um, just uh, this past year, was it? 
like very recently that he left the project. Um, 2015, May 2014. Yeah, but that's pretty late in the game when you're looking at oh, yeah. a 2015 release of a film. So They had already cast and they had already started some photography. They, um, Edgar Wright had filmed what was going to be the post-credit stinger for Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like they had really started this film and they left because Edgar Wright and Marvel sort of had a disagreement about the direction and the tone of the film, which I mean, that's this is an ongoing issue, though, with Marvel. And part of it is because they do have this very set movie schedule They're They're used to having box office, you know, gold, basically, with the especially with anything associated with Marvel, you know, the Avengers and and that kind of thing. Um, And, you know, we heard some of the struggles that Joss Whedon went through in the last Avengers installment. Um, He was very honest about the fact that he was having a hard time dealing with the studio and dealing with the storylines and tying certain things into it. And although Edgar Wright didn't get into he he talked a little bit about it, but he really just kind of wasn't going to dish the dirt so much. But which, which you got to admit is is pretty cool that Edgar Wright and Marvel have been pretty pretty cool about this this fallout. They haven't. There has been a lot of mudslinging, um, but I think you're right, Conrad. I think Edgar Wright wanted to make a film that was probably very different in tone from what uh, Marvel wanted. And Evangeline Lilly has, has sort of made some statements saying, yeah, his movie would have been awesome and cool and fun, but it would have stuck out like a sore thumb compared to well, the other Marvel films. And they w- I also think, though, this is a character, Ant-Man is not a major character. This is not a character uh, that you really see like a ton of. I have very limited knowledge of Ant-Man. Um, I mean, you knew he was there, but it was kind of weird. I mean, even when he was getting into doing this film, I was like, ah, oh, this has got to be a pet project of Edgar Wright's. And maybe <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. And maybe he thought that he could get away with some of it because it is definitely not one of your major characters. Like, it's not like doing a film. It's not an Iron Man. Um, so maybe, uh, I mean, and maybe the studio until they've had this crazy thing happen, which is what they've had happen, maybe they were willing to let him do that. And then suddenly it's like, okay, no, wait, wait, we have to tie this in somehow. And I could see Edgar Wright getting a little annoyed because he definitely tends to be the master of his domain in his movie making. Um, he, if you see it in the Cornetto trilogy, um, Scott Pilgrim is a, another example of this. Um, he tends to have a very specific view about what he wants to do, and it's generally a pretty awesome one. So well, I'm, a little, thing, like, I'm a little, you, and you can see it in this film. I'm not going to give too many spoilers. I think we're going to try to do a non-spoiler review at first, but yeah. I, I, I feel there's definitely parts of the script. I'm like, oh, that is so very Edgar Wright. Um, and, the, and the treatment of this character and the tone of this film is very different. So I, I would also say that this maybe sticks out a little bit like a sore thumb, maybe a, maybe a, I don't know, a mildly burned thumb. I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> slightly maimed thumb, not, not uh, compared to some of the other Marvel films we've discussed. What's interesting to me about Edgar Wright's journey to this is he started developing this before there was a Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, that's he the, started working, I think that's the issue. Right? That's that's totally the issue. And I think what we're probably going to get into is 
uh, how much the, the story of Ant-Man, the, the development of Ant-Man is kind of a story of how much wiggle room is there in the MCU for different visions. Right. And Kevin Feige, the, the executive producer, the brains behind the MCU and, and some of the other Marvel films as well, um, he has done a great job of trying to create a cohesive storyline between all of these different movies. But I think that Ant-Man kind of reveals, and, and Age, of, uh, Age of Ultron, which we talked about a few episodes back, kind of reveals some of the problems here with the MCU. So, Conrad, I went into this... I would, I would argue with you, not expect. saying that he's done a great job doing that. Mm. I think he's been a little bit... I mean, I understand this is something you and I have talked about, that they've done a great job at trying dealing with some of the continuity and in trying to tie some of those storylines together. But sometimes it does get extraordinarily awkward, which is what I think we saw um, in Age of Ultron. And I think that some of the things that everybody loved about Joss Whedon's Avengers was lost because of this sticking to this sort of company line. Um, and I would, I don't, well, I'll spoil it for you. I, I mean, I feel like Ant-Man, I saw some promise within this film and it kind of, there was some things that felt very forced to me. So, well, so we're now getting into our non-spoiler thoughts on Peyton Reed's mm-hmm. Ant-Man, uh, Peyton Reed from Yes Man, The Breakup and Bring, Bring It On. on. I got to admit, I, I I do like the original Bring It On. Yeah, the original um, Bring It On is fantastic. Original is pretty good. But yeah, I do yeah, think it's good. funny that he was part of a movie called Yes Man. Just saying. <laughs> that is true. Um, so, Conrad, I um, to get into our non-spoiler thoughts, I thought I, I had a perfectly acceptable two hours watching this film. Um, there were some scenes that were a lot of fun. Um, I like some of the the new areas that we went into. Um, I I enjoy the Ant Man character overall. I think it's not as fun as it could be. Um, it kind of bugged me that everyone except for one character, every every person of color, was basically a criminal. I minus, was about minus. to not just a criminal, <laughs> but a criminal and a buffoon to some extent. And a buffoon, yeah. Like well, and, like and, seriously, and the, it was sort of it was really. I actually was feeling extraordinarily uncomfortable watching it. I yeah, was just like, yeah. how did they not? Do they what? I don't understand, and so do you not realize what what this comes across as? Yeah, well, and but, then but they and then, should, it, they really should. So anyway, that that was a huge problem for me watching this film. Well, um, and I'm sure you also noticed the the female characters. Uh-huh. Um, we had they there's like two. One is just like a throwaway character, basically just a mom who has no arc at all. Is just kind oh, of oh, you there. forgot. There's a third trashy one. Oh, there's a theater. Oh, oh, the daughter. Um, no, 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 no. Not the daughter. She's not trashy. Um, there's, well, I guess then there's oh, four. Oh. There's four. There's oh, the oh, daughter, the, the mom. Da- yeah, the, there's the daughter, the mom, the main female lead, and then the trashy maid. That's right. Um, and none of them talk to each other. So, again, no Bechdel test was passed in the making mm-hmm. of this film. Um, and then I had some mixed feelings about Evangeline Lilly's the, character. The daughter talks Hope. to the mom. That's it. Oh, okay. So I about about her dad. Yep. Uh, so not again. Not breaking. The it does not text. pass it, but you know, they had. So one uh, I mean, it, I, I, I I I had okay time. I had fun. 
I th- and it's a lot of the critics have been talking about, well, if we could only see Edgar Wright's cut. But, you know, I have problems with that because that doesn't exist. Like, don't right. try to compare it to a f- movie that doesn't exist. Comparing it to the other Marvel films and the other superhero films, I think this is a s- mostly solid addition that I had fun watching. Um, I think it could have been better. Uh, I think it reveals some problems with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, and I thought it was—I thought it was like a solid entry, not one of my favorites. Um, I, you know, I think the tone of this is a little different. Definitely a little bit more kid-friendly overall, even though there yes. were some scary parts to it. But there was definitely that feeling. Um, I feel like the sense of humor was a little bit more there. A um, little bit less heavy on a lot of points, and there was definitely some good moments between characters. The parts I just mentioned to you in terms of diversity and how you treat diverse characters and female characters, to me, that is just seriously unforgivable at this point. It just really is. And, you know, yeah, Edgar Wright's, like, his film would have been great, but I'm not thinking that it would necessarily have solved a lot of these problems either since most well, of the cast was cast, there. Exactly. So, exactly. so I mean, maybe film. there's treatment of some of the different characters that might have been different, but it, as you said, that's sort of debating what ifs. So I'm not going to go there. Um, I do think that there were separate, there were three separate thoughts as I was watching this. And I, I will admit to you, I was just like, really? And then I laughed because I saw somebody else had, had also had this thought. Um, I, I felt like it was a mini Iron Man um, plot line, not the heist piece of piece of it, because it is a heist film, I would say. Yeah. But there's the whole, you know, there's the whole enemy, who's trying to use technology for evil, which is, you know, basically the first Iron Man plot. Sure. Um, and then, you know, the person sort of get, coming into their role as a hero. Um, definitely a little different than Tony Stark, but um, sort of that same idea. Um, yeah. And then there was also, there was definitely like a weird interstellar feeling during parts of this film. <laughs> And then I saw somebody I totally actually think about somebody, that, but you're somebody right. actually had a review that I just happened to see before we were before recording that called it um Antistellar or something like that. <laughs> or Interstellar. Um so I like which, that. I like Interstellar. Yeah, which I think is hilarious. And so it's you know, so it, the fact that I was thinking this, I was like, okay. Um Overall enjoyable. I didn't hate the film. I did not feel like I need to see it again. Um, and then another piece, another problem I had with it is that sort of the rules of the game, um, and perhaps there's an explanation for this that I'm unaware of, but the whole thing about Ant-Man is that sure. he is, so he, he using these PIM particles, he can shrink, but he still has his, his mass, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's basically like a bullet. Yes. Um, so he can use that force and whatever. But force equals mass times acceleration, right. but the mass is is kind of variable depending on stuff. Right. It's not um, the mass of a ant, but it's it's No, more but than it's that. still that. And so what he has these little things where he can make things bigger or smaller, these little discs thing disc things. But you would think that if he's making a toy, a toy train become big, it's still going to be light as a feather because it has the same mass. 
Oh. So, so you know. So there's some continuity stuff. There's there. some continuity stuff, which yeah. maybe there is an explanation I'm unaware of, but that I that stood out to me. But that being you know, said, as like I watched this in a in a theater that had a lot of kids in it, and the kids seemed to be really having a great time. And as you and I have talked about before, like we have to remember that perhaps, and I think that this is okay too, like all these films don't have to be just for the adults, which sometimes people forget that. And I do think that this was fun, uh, definitely a lot less gory and heavy than a lot of the films that we've been reviewing of late that purport to be somewhat kid-friendly have been. Yeah. And yeah. I liked that. And I thought that the the sense of humor was good. There was, some, there was a lot of good things about it. Um, but is it an amazing film? No. And I definitely think that parts of the pieces where they do try to force that, you know, the MCU in there um, feel forced to me. So, yeah, I think I think the best part of this is how it can work for kids. Um, a listener of the show at UCLA, Karen, sent us a tweet earlier today and said, I thoroughly enjoyed it, um, as did my seven-year-old and 15-year-olds. Entertaining, fun, fun, exciting, definitely yeah. enjoyable. And I think that tweet sort of captures how I feel about it. And definitely you know what? I would take enjoyable. My, I would take my nephew to see this. I think he'd like it, and I don't think it's too scary. And, and there's a lot of fun things that are definitely geared towards kids in this. I thought that the daughter was very, like, an excellent character for the oh, most she was part. Great. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, so in those terms, my nephew would get such a kick yeah. out of that finale. Um. Not going to spoil it, but it involves Thomas, uh, the train. Uh, Thomas the train, right? Is yeah. that's his name? Yeah, that's uh, Thomas the train. Yeah, my nephew. My nephew <laughs> loves trades, and he would he would love that scene. So I, yeah, I, I think we're on the same page. Um. Uh, anything else to mention before we get into spoilers? I guess one thing to mention that's non-spoilery. Um, I do like how it ties in to the larger MCU. Mm. I thought it was done for the, I think you might, you and I might debate on this, I but think I think it was done would. in, yeah, I think it was done in a way that is good without being too much. Um, Thor two might have done a better job of just kind of alluding to it a little bit with a with a little bit of Loki shape shifting into another Avenger. Um, so I liked that. There was one part where I thought it was heavy handed, but for the most part, I think that's good. And I think it does introduce some big ideas for future Marvel movies that we'll probably get into that involve that Pym particle and the antistellar element of it, um, which I didn't know too much about before we got into this film. Um, this doesn't spoil anything, but one of my favorite moments is um, a certain female agent uh, from the Marvel Cinematic Universe that makes an appearance, and mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. So I liked say, those moments. I will also say that the effects, I thought that cast-wise, it was a pretty strong cast um, for the main leads. Michael Douglas plays uh, yeah. Hank Pym, um, and then Paul Rudd plays Ant-Man. Um, but the makeup effects, because there is a scene where they show um, the Pym character as younger. And I thought that they did an excellent job in that case. Like, I thought that the effects were fantastic there. So. It, it's a lot better. It's a lot better than, uh, I was about to say Captain Picard, but um, <laughs> Professor X in yes, yes. Uh, Wolverine Origins. Yeah, that looked lot, just scary. That looks terrible. Uh, but this was, this was believable <laughs> enough, I thought. 
this was this was much improved. Um, I don't think I'm ever gonna buy those effects, but this one I was like, all right, it kind of looks like Michael Douglas from Wall Street. I could kind of buy that. Um, so they did do a nice job with that. That that whole sequence, the um, the kind of flashback to old school Shield was was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, so yeah, I mean Conrad, shall we? Yeah, like, let's get into uh, the so spoilers. So it sounds like you're saying you're saying kind of see it, but no, it's not going to be that that no, great I think, if you're I, a fan no, of this. No, I think that you can see it. I think you'll enjoy it. I don't think that it's a major installment. But I think it's enjoyable, and I think especially if you, you have kids, you should go and see it. And it's it's definitely a fun summer flick. It's 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 fun. I think that that's you know what? what I would say. I had fun, and I had a lot more fun watching this than Ultron, Age Agreed. of Ultron. Agreed. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I know it doesn't outlay a ton more information, but I'm okay with that. Um, and I do think, as, as you and I discussed before, I think part of the problem with Ultron is that it tried to do too much. And I think oh, keeping yeah. I think keeping the story small helped it. And you know, I am disappointed that Edgar Wright didn't get to do what he wanted to do with it because I would be uh, I would love to see what that movie would have been like. But that this is what we have, and I think it was it was a decent decent job. So, all right, well, watch out, folks. We're going to be sending pim particles at you um, fast and furiously. So we're entering in spoilers now. So mm-hmm. you have been warned. Fast forward to the crossover top five if you want to avoid spoilers. So with that, Conrad, um, in our spoilery discussion, um, what worked, what didn't work? Um, I think, as I said, keeping the story small worked well. I think that the Paul Rudd character worked well and they, they set up his story pretty well. And, you know, they make him very sympathetic early on. You know, um, I didn't think I was going to like Paul Rudd as a superhero, but he plays this every man, which is in contrast to some of the Avengers. He feels right. like less of a big superhero, and that worked for me. Right, and I and I liked that. Um, as you and I just mentioned a, a few times, um, the, the diverse characters that make up his <laughs> kind of like, you know, um, motley motley gang there like i felt offended by them um yeah. and i it's not that the actors didn't do a great job i think they did i just was super depressed about the fact that that this is what hollywood continues to do um yeah and it just it's so like they did not have to play it that way at all they really didn't and they just did that and i you know it was just really it feels again you and i've discussed so many times we should be so much further along than this and marvel freaking knows better and marvel comics is we need to point out that like yeah there's a massive reboot that's happening right now in the marvel comics universe and it is not only is it streamlining and tying more with the marvel cinematic universe characters so there's that but there's so much diversity in the Marvel comics and the MCU should be much farther yeah. along. Yeah, and it's, it's not that we're saying all those criminals should also be white. No, there's many ways to be a white male in the MCU and there are few ways to be a person of color or a female character. And yes, we've got Falcon in here and he's great. Um, and yes... But uh, I would also argue that that was the piece that I Falcon makes a cameo, a couple of cameos, um, if you count the end a little short. 
the beginning um, end and the the stinger at the post credits. Yep, at the post credits. Yep. Um, I'm sorry, not the beginning, but the middle. The middle. The um, and the post end. But even his appearance in this to me felt a little bit forced and strange. And Let, let's uh, talk about that because it sounds like that didn't work for you. No, not at all. And I really like him as a character. I'd love to see more of him. But it just felt like they used him for cheap laughs. And I really didn't get I, I was kind of annoyed by it. Um, and his appearance there it was like, oh, my gosh, let's get Falcon in here and let's do this. And this will be great. And if you're going to use him, use him a little bit more than you did um, to make it feel not quite so clunky. So that's and it again, not a problem with the actor at all, because I think he's great. And then some of the interaction between between him and Ant-Man were great. But do a little bit more with it. Make it not quite such a like forced cameo, which is what it felt like to me. So I, what I liked about that scene is uh, it, it it was tying right into Age of Ultron. And I, I did not like Age of Ultron at all. But I love this idea that it, I'm watching a movie that is continuing part of the story of something I saw a couple of months ago. That, to me, was really cool that now this base is actually, that's the new Avengers base that we saw at the end of Ultron. And I also liked seeing this superhero, Falcon, this new Avenger, who's able to see Ant-Man when he's shrunking down to that microscopic level. I thought that was cool, that already we've got someone who can um, who's kind of exposing um, Ant-Man. That to me was cool. And I, I kind of liked their their fight a little bit. I think it I didn't think one person won over another. It did it felt like Falcon sort of lost a little bit, but um, I kind of liked that they were um, that Paul Rudd's character wasn't necessarily a fan of the Avengers, that he was a little bit of outsider. That scene worked for me. I don't know why. but It didn't work for me only because I felt it could have been done a lot better. That's all. And Uh if you're going to have them interact, have them interact on a higher level and not just, again, like sort of cheap thrills. And I feel like Falcon, it... In some ways, he made a little bit of a buffoon out of Falcon, too. And so that bothered me. But um, and, you know, it, Falcon's a character I'd like to see more of just generally. So that perhaps is is what's tying into my annoyance. But um, well, you know, one thing that uh, I'm curious if it ever worked for you, because um, it very much worked for me. I loved all the microscopic scenes. Um I, I like how they did this. They did this with sort of uh, they did mic, uh, macro photography mm-hmm. combined with motion capture combined with some CGI. So uh, right from the scene where we see him shrink down in the bathtub to all of his interaction with the ants, the way they made the ants a little bit, um, you know, they, they kind of cued up a little bit. They didn't ha- they weren't as hairy as, as ants are. Um, but I, I loved all of those interactions and I love how the ants were a bit of a character here, um, how they're moving around the ice, not the ice cubes, the sugar cubes and things like that. I, I thought a lot of that was really fun and that could come across as really silly or strange or weird, but I loved... Um, the physics involved. I loved how they showed it in a macroscopic type of way. All that stuff was cool. No, I definitely liked that piece of it. I thought the effects when he is small are great. I also thought the effects of him going small to large and then having to learn how to control it. So there's this whole sequence where he has to, like, it's a test. Like, he has to jump through a keyhole 
So he has to jump through small and then be large again. And I thought that the montage of him learning how to do that and him learning how to fight were great. Um, I agree with you. I think the ants were a good, you know, they're a different part of the film and they're like a great character. So I like that too. Um, I was so surprised that that training sequence worked for me because that's such a superhero trope. We've seen it over and over again. Uh, you know, Superman learning how to fly, Batman learning how to, I don't know, throw batarangs, whatever it might be. Um, but it worked for me. It was fun. And that's a part of the film that felt a bit fresh. Yep. Um, and, and it felt a little unique. And we can see... We can see some of those seeds of why Edgar Wright liked this character and how wacky it is. Yeah, Uh, and it's pretty wacky. And even like the interactions between him and uh, Hope and Hope Pym and Hank Pym are really, some of them are really funny. Like there's some really great awkward moments that he just makes even more awkward. So it's like, I thought that that stuff was fantastic. Um what did you think of the whole because there's a few themes here there's a mentorship theme between um dr pym and scott lang uh uh, who becomes a new ant-man so there's a passing of the old ant-man to the new but there's also that kind of ruined mentorship with darren cross um who we know from um house of cards um played by Corey uh stole and there's also the themes of kind of fatherhood and father-daughter relationships and and all of that um did any of that stuff work for you um, I think that some of the mentorship worked. Um, one of the things I really disliked was, you know, and you're going to, I'm sure be, you know, I'm sure this, uh, you were, you were like, Oh, Conrad's going to love this. There's this whole theme where Hank Pym, Dr. Pym is trying to protect his daughter. She's clearly very talented, smart. She's been basically being like a double, like a double agent, um, staying within, uh, like Darren, Darren's, laboratory or regime and is has now basically turned her back on that because now she sees him as dangerous Uh, and she's capable of working the ant-man suit she's capable of dealing with the ants but yet she's not allowed to do this because her father's protecting her and you're supposed to kind of just accept that and you know we do get a hint in the end that he's going to open up his mind and create a, a like a an outfit for her but yeah, you know, it is very clear to me. It's like, why does Ant-Man get to become Ant-Man? Ant-Woman would be so much cooler. Yeah. And yep. she is cooler. And so it's sort of, that was annoying to me. Um, I did like the the father-daughter thing, but Antistellar, it was definitely. Well, um, so the thing there is that whole storyline hinges on you buying Dr. Pym, Hank Pym's relationship right. with his wife and that whole storyline. But emotionally, it didn't really resonate with no. me. I, and it, I felt, and it like felt a little it was, weak. It felt a little weak. So it's like, mm. yeah. Um, and they, they bring up that storyline in the beginning to try to hook you in with it. But it's still not enough to make it seem to have the impact that I think it was supposed to. Um, no, that's the, what I, didn't, other- I didn't buy Scott's relationship with his daughter either. There wasn't. My, like we're supposed to believe that she really loves him, cares about him, but we we don't really see why. It just um, I don't well, know. If I bought that a little bit more, you know, there's a little kid doesn't really understand why her dad hasn't been around, but she loves him. He gets her because he buys her that ugly little weird animal, and everybody <laughs> else is like, "Oh, like you that. really like that?" But she does because she's just so he gets her. So I bought that relationship. I didn't really buy the one 
between Dr. Pym and his daughter. Um, but the thing that I actually, you know, one of the things we, you and I have talked about a lot, um, I did not buy uh, Darren Cross mm. as a villain. I just didn't. I thought he was kind of tropey and annoying and <laughs> just sort of like, okay. And that's why I said it's like a little Iron Man-like in some cases. It, it is. That part especially feels very similar to... Um, was it Jeff Bridges in, yeah, in yeah, Iron absolutely. Man? Yeah, that felt like a similar character. You know what? I am ashamed to admit it, but I kind of liked Darren Cross's character. Really? I, I, I think Conrad, it's only because I like that actor a lot. Mm. Um, he's a really great actor. And uh, towards the end, I was like, eh, I'm beginning to lose it here, but I'm still going to buy it. You know what I didn't buy, though, was Hydra getting involved. He's like, oh, yeah, we're going to sell this yeah. to Hydra. Hey, they're not the same bad guys they used to be. And I was like, all right, this is where you're kind of stretching it a little thin. We don't need to shoehorn Hydra into this. We get it. It's a Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Well, it's all connected. Yeah. yeah so, so that part didn't really resonate with me. Um, but, you know, I... <laughs> This is one of the things they, they said, oh, he's losing his mind because of the serum. But at the same time, the character hasn't really been exposed to the serum that much. That we like, know of anyway. That, well, yeah, that we know. That's true. But, uh, you know, Michael Douglas's character, Hank Pym, has been exposed to the serum a lot more. So, sure, maybe during Cross's becoming Yellow Jacket, he's, it's, it's not a, as pure of a blend of this Pym particle. But, um, you know, you're mentioning Antistellar. We're talking about the Pym particle. We should probably talk about this, this whole, the finale, the ending, going into the quantum universe, Conrad. Yep. It sounds like that wasn't working for you. No, I mean, I think it was fine, and I think that that was an interesting way to play it. You knew you, they were going there, though, the minute they started talking about it, so I think it was a little bit predictable that yeah. that's something that was going to happen. That's how um, Hope's mother disappeared from the world and what traumatized Dr. Pym so much. Um, she went down to the, you know, the subatomic particle level because she was trying to stop a warhead from detonating. Um, and so now she's just shrinking forever is how Dr. Pym describes it. Now, Ant-Man gets out of this, but during this, there's some wildly like sort of trippy little scenes that definitely felt very interstellar like. Um, and <laughs> I, I, should, I, felt, I felt a lot more 2001 A Space Odyssey mm. beyond the infinite, but I mean, they're connected. Or I, I felt like you look through one of those little kaleidoscopes like when you're little <laughs> and like, you yeah, know, yeah. all the little shapes go. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, and it was fine and he came back and that's great. Um, but, you know. But he over- came back in the most ridiculous way, similar to interstellar. He like, removed that thing and put it on his belt buckle and then like came back and it's like oh if it was only that simple magic magic um but anyway i mean i think overall it was a lot of fun i think it would be fun for kids i like the action scenes i like the effects i just felt like in terms of like plot line and in terms of like sort of these types of movies not the strongest length but i think it link i think it's supposed to i don't think it's supposed to be I think it's supposed to be what it is, which is fun. So, and so the and this is where we're getting into territory where I'm, I'm going to own up that we're reaching the uh, kind of like the quantum universe, or we're, we're reaching the limits of all about two's knowledge of the Marvel universe. The, so, apparently, from what I've been reading, the Pym particles are really important into yeah. getting characters into other realms of the Marvel cinema, mm-hmm. uh, the Marvel universe. Supposedly, this is going to tie majorly 
into the next phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. People are saying this is going to tie into Doctor Strange. Maybe this will tie into the Infinity Wars. I don't know too much about that stuff, but okay, I, I think it's I think it's cool that Marvel is getting into these really weird and wild areas, and the audiences are like, all right, I'm going to come along with this. I mean, the movie made $58 million, um, as of this recording, and that's like good but not great and i think that's kind of captures this movie it's I, I like its role in the mcu i like that we're getting a small slimmer storyline it was mostly fun um i like these characters overall i know it's setting up some big stuff um I like that that stinger at the end where we see Falcon, Captain America, and we see Bucky, the Winter Soldier. That is a daily that was taken from the filming of Marvel Civil War. Yeah, no, and it was That's good. That's so cool. That's just like got filmed like two months ago. Yeah, it's great. Boom. So I think that stuff is cool, but at the same time, you know, I think Fast Five <laughs> does this kind of storyline much better. And it's diverse, and it's fun, and it's got cars, so that's pretty cool. But cars and ants, they kind of even out. Yeah, um, I'll also say, if you don't like bugs, don't see this movie, because oh, yeah, I, I made Bill see this with me, and, you know, he does not he has, he has does not <laughs> like bugs. So he, he very heroically sat through this film, but that was a piece of it he did not enjoy at all. Um, I don't think he's ever going to see ants as being cuddly, so... You I think th- there's a scene where Paul Rudd has to like walk through this bedroom covered with ants. Yeah. That's that's kind of like e- it's a little. Ick. Um, if you don't like bugs, I, it's gonna bother you. But yeah. I got to say, the microscopic uh, or the, uh, maybe the macroscopic views of ants—they seemed very nice and supportive and friendly. They did. Um, I also so I also I, have I, to I like say that. the 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 last fight scene in the kids' bedroom was a lot of fun. So with the ants oh, kind of joining amazing. in, amazing. Yeah, that was fun. So Thomas the Tank, the ants, it was funny. And you could see where... Um, and I again, loved how they cut from like the really big, crazy action <laughs> things that you're seeing on like the microscopic, like you're seeing in macro, like really close to them. And then it's like you pull away to show what normal people would see. And it's actually that, really funny. So that was it's, great. I, I also love... Um, uh, the moment where we had th- th- there's some Michael Pena's character when he starts uh, whistling It's a Small World. Yeah, that was pretty That's funny. That's funny. That was great. So yeah, I think we're on the same page, Conrad. Um, anything else you want to say about Ant-Man? Nope, that's about it. I think we're ready for the crossover chamber if you are. Let's do it. Let's venture into the infinite crossover chamber. Um, Conrad, what are we debating today? Today we are debating the, uh, sorry, Ant Man with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and the question is which film uses that tiny perspective uh, to better use in terms of choice storytelling. So I got to admit, I loved Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the 1989 awesome film with Rick Moranis. This was actually my first exposure to Rick Moranis, <laughs> um, as people remember from our Ghostbusters. Oh, I was about to I say, oh, yeah, you never, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but what's cool here is there are definite connections between these two films. Not only are they both Disney films, but 
Stan Lee originally pitched the idea of Ant-Man to New World Entertainment, and it was rejected because Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was in development. Well, so, and I did notice that in Ant-Man, especially in the first scene where he shrinks down, there were, I felt, like a lot of references to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like oh, totally. The vacuum cleaner sequence and things like that. Like, it felt like there in the, you know... The fact, the fact that the rat tries to get him and all of that stuff, like I was like, oh, this is a little bit of a tip of a, of the hat to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And and we haven't seen this kind of thing for a while. I think um, I watched the movie with a friend of the show, Dan Gottesman, um, and he was talking to me about, is it Interspace? Have you seen that film, Connor? Inner, it's Interspace. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that, but you know, there aren't too many films that do this kind of macro shrinking down thing. But you know, the one of the classics is "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids." Um, Conrad, is that a film you watched? Is that a film you liked? Where are you coming from with with "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids"? I know, I loved it. I thought it was like a fun film. I, I thought that they did a great job and. It had a sense of humor about it. And, you know, I felt a little bit of that with Ant-Man, honestly, because it's dealing with such a ridiculous concept. <laughs> so, like, I did feel like there was some playing there, and I think that that's all right. Um, Inner Space is also, you know, in Fantastic Voyage, of course. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah. which was, yeah. and, you know, Inner Space was actually, like, very much like Fantastic Voyage. Like, it was pretty much a remake or or referenced it a lot, so... You know, um, this Honey, You Shrunk the Kids uh, hit me right at the right age. I think I was the right target demographic where I was terrified at at certain scenes, but I also identified with the main characters. I mean, for those of you who don't remember, the plot of the film is this scientist is creating this shrinking device that doesn't work until this these kids, their baseball hits the machine and now it's working and these kids get shrunken down, the neighbors and the scientist kids and they're, they get thrown out with the trash and now they have to make it make their way home. Um, but I identified with the kids a lot. Uh, it was just the right age for me where I was uh, tapping into a lot of that awe and wonder. And I think what Honey, I Shrink the Kids does well, much like Ant-Man, it was a great family film. I think my whole family went to go see it, and then we saw the sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, which wasn't as good. Um, but we we all loved this film, and then when it would air on TV, we would watch it again and again. So I really loved this film. I think one of the – there's a few different – things about both of these and one is how they do the effects the effects of honey i shrunk the kids are really cool they're all practical Practical effects effects. and in fact at disney world they have that um or they used to i don't know if they still have it but there was a whole playground that was based upon um the honey i shrunk the kids and also that um and then they changed it, but there was like, was it Ant Story or something like that? Oh, there a was Bug's like Life? A Bug's Life. Um, but I remember there was like a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids kind of like playground thing that I went with my younger brother one time when we were down there years and years ago. So I would guess that it was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids that it was based upon. But it was like these really sort of massive Lego and kind of crazy stuff that was a lot of fun um because we like well that the film. was the stuff from yeah 
Yeah, I mean, the film had these giant, it's kind of like they're hanging out and then they come across this big set piece, which is amazing. And then they hang out and they come across this big thing. So there's ants in there too. There's a famous Mm -hmm. ant character and kind of a big fight with a scorpion, I think. There was a sprinkler with water going off, a lawnmower, as you mentioned, bees and cereal and cookies and a lit cigarette, um, the Legos, all that stuff. Just um, as watching some of the footage and, and prep for this episode. And I got to say, I think it holds up really well. The sets they designed are just so cool that they actually yeah. made this stuff. Um, yes, whereas there, Ant-Man took a very different perspective. Yeah, no. And I just looked it up and there is like a movie set adventure and they have the cream pies and all that stuff. So I'm not making that oh, up in my head. So cool. So, so cool. Yeah. Um, and you're right, like the set pieces were incredible and the fact that it was practical effects. I mean, I think that the action sequences in Ant-Man were as they should be, but it was so very cool when Honey, I Shrunk the Kids did it the way that they did. Um, and the perspective of the kids and I don't know, it was, that film was just so much fun because it's also the the journey that the kids make. And yeah. there's this whole thing because they're just in their back lawn, but it feels like it's forever. And oh, it's I feel, a whole other world, yeah. And I feel like they did a, 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 a really good job explaining the science in that film as, you know, minuscule amount as they could, <laughs> explaining why it would take this long and why nobody could hear them. And I feel oh, like, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like Ant Man glossed over that. And also, as we talked about, perhaps didn't always follow their own rules, but then. They also have the pim particle, which is different than anything in real life. So, you know, um, but I felt like the I don't know. I I have a hard time picking a winner here, to be honest. I, have with a hard you. Time. I mean, I think in terms of characters, I think both films are like they kind of even out. Um, uh, I don't think that either film has really amazing character moments. But what's interesting about Honey, I Shrink the Kids is they're stuck in that in that size and they stay throughout that size for the whole film so it really feels like this giant journey right and honey i shrink the kids i feel like you you see the world in a new way whereas what's cool about ant-man is he can change his size at will so it really becomes a power not a conflict to overcome so they are very different films but our well, question it's also it's also wrangling that power in because it wasn't it wasn't sure. easy to do that so in some ways it's it's negotiating with that power um and not just that but also with you know his new his new insect companions as well and making that work so he's got so a lot he, of different things to conquer to to be effective as ant-man um and then so I don't know. This is a tough question. I, I, I think it's a clear winner for me. Watching Ant-Man, I didn't really get to – I didn't get as much of a sense of what would it be like to see the world from this perspective. What I did get well is what would it be like to see the world from an ant's perspective? I thought mm. that was kind of cool, but less so just like a person kind of living in this time space. Okay. Um, so I, I'm I'm going with Honey I Shrank the Kids just because the the journey staying small I think it I walked out of that theater with a different sense of perspective. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you on this one 
because you sweet i convinced conrad no no it wasn't i mean it's close <laughs> but i agree with you in that you know especially with the journey that they make and the you know and the other piece of that the whole part of this is that they have to figure out a way to get big again and yeah. that's like such a like crazy thing for them to just go through the house and get through all these obstacles and amen has obstacles too but they're all kind of solved with some montage and you know <laughs> that kind of thing so I, I feel like the storytelling piece using the smallness definitely honey i shrunk the kids all right well dear listeners let us know who you think uh better uses that perspective is it ant-man or is it honey i shrunk the kids uh let us know and with that we're closing up the doors on the infinite crossover chamber and on to our top five conrad what are we talking about today today we are talking about top five animal sidekicks or insect sidekicks um <laughs> whatever whatever you may have um so i'm excited to talk about this with you and hear what you came up with what is your number five mr matu well okay so i i i had a hard time with this and it'll probably be revealed when i get to the end um but uh the f- very first thing that came to mind for me was darwin from sequest uh, yeah that's a good one I really love Sequest. Especially I loved that Se- show. Right beyond the what, beyond the surface lies a future. I think. Bah, bah. So it, it's a great show, um, especially season one. Season one is much more hard science than than science fiction. Season two became much more science fiction. So I had a lot of fun with the show. And Darwin is this dolphin who is uh, surrounded by equipment that actually translates. Darwin's language into something humans can understand and then vice versa as well. Um, I forget what the name of it is. I used to know this. It was not echolocator, but something like that. Um, So I thought Darwin was fun. And Darwin also has this little thing um, equipped so Darwin can like go swim in the deep ocean and doesn't have to come up to get oxygen. That was awesome. Um, So Darwin, super cool. That's my number five pick. What about you, Conrad? Uh, My number five is a total cheat. (laughs) Okay. It is K-9 from Doctor Who. Uh, That's... Okay, I, I don't know Doctor Who well enough to know how that's a cheat. Is Now, K-9 is a robot? Yeah, he's a robot. Okay, so... But he looks I, like a dog, and his name is K-9, and he's awesome. <laughs> now, is it like an artificial intelligence dog? Uh, he's kind of a... He's kind of like... Um, he is and there there's also like several of them there's not just one but it's um he also has his own spin-off and he ended up in the Sarah Jane adventures um and you know there's a reason for him being in the show and a lot of that you would imagine is because kids really really liked him he's just a oh, robot yeah. dog he, how can he, he not like a robot he dog? has like like weapons in his nose which is awesome um, and he has like just this vast intelligence so often helps along and he like kind of just the way he sort of meanders along is pretty amazing. Um, you know, I don't know if he actually has artificial intelligence, um, but he's still a very, very cool sidekick. 
Cool. Well, um, that works for me. I'm going to give you that because um, it's uh, it's it's Doctor Who, um, and uh, Doctor Who is known to bend those rules. Things get a little wibbly wobbly in that in that uh, story. Uh, my number four is Falcor from the Neverending Story. That is my number three. Oh, there we go. There we Which go. Which is interesting since you didn't even know what Falcor was. When we talked what? at some point. What was he again? A, what was he, Ali? He's like a flying wolf thing, no! isn't he? No! No, he is, is a he? luck dragon. He's a he's luck a, dragon. He's a dragon? He is a luck dragon. See, oh so my now, gosh. here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh-huh. I have not seen this movie since I was like 10. But, but, I saw this movie like like a hundred times when I was a kid. I had a VHS of it that I like played until it like burst into analog flames. Um, I loved this film, and I used to sing the theme song ah, all the time. Um, and I wanted, I wish I had my own Falcor. So it's more nostalgic joy for me, but that's why it's my number four. But you seem to have a better memory of Falcor than I do. Well, at least I know what he is. He even says, I'm a luck dragon. I mean, Ali, come on, man. Just saying. Well, you know, I mean, I I don't re- recall. Um, I put the fifth there, Conrad. <laughs> well, my um, number. My now, number, why do you like? What well, do you like, Falcor? I like Falcor because he was a main part of this film. He's Bastion's companion. He's Bastion's guide through this world, but he's not. He's not an overwhelming guide, as we know during the film. He just does what Bastion is guiding him to do. So even though it appears that, you know, Bastion thinks he's kind of being led on an adventure, he's actually the the person that's pushing the adventure along. Um, and, you know, he looks cuddly and he looks nice. Um, he doesn't look like a big dog wolf, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what a luck dragon is supposed to look like other than like Falcor. So, um and there's the the really great scenes, as you said, like where they're flying and it's just like this really the, there's fantastic moment where they're flying through the cra- the clouds and it's awesome. There's also another animal companion. This didn't make my list, but probably an honorable mention, Artex, which is a Trey Hughes um, horse who also plays a pretty pivotal role in the film. So. All right. Well, that's right. a lot more detail that I remember. Uh, but that was your number four. Three. Three. What's your number four? Um, My number four is Hobbs from Calvin and Hobbs. Oh, man. Conrad, really good pick. I mean, Hobbs is awesome. He's always sort of like egging Calvin along. He's also a very comforting thing. Who wouldn't want their their pet tiger along? Um, He's just fantastic. And as you know, I love Calvin Hobbs. So I had to I had to put that in there. How can you not? That's, That's a really great pick. And I can't believe I overlooked Calvin and Hobbes and Hobbes in particular. Um, I think that's fantastic. Weren't you and I, were you and I kind of texting or I can't remember who, but um, a, a, some some kid lost his Hobbes. Yeah, at an airport. the airport. And then the the staff that one of the staff members basically took the stuffed animal and t- took all these basically selfies of Hobbes <laughs> on an adventure. And when they returned to him to his owner, they had this whole documentation of Hobbs's trip around the airport, so which I thought was great. Awesome. I love it when we get to see humanity at its best. And I think it was right there. Um, great pick, Conrad. Um, my number three is taking us back 
into the Marvel Universe, and it's Lockjaw, uh, one of the Inhumans, and an Inhuman that takes canine form. So I honestly knew nothing about this character until I started reading Miss Marvel. And as some of you know, I'm a big fan of the new Miss Marvel, and one of the things that happens is she her storyline does intersect with the Inhumans, and one of the Inhumans she encounters is Lockjaw, this mm. giant amazing teleporting uh dog so that is my number three pick i love miss marvel and i love lockjaw even more nice yeah what do you uh, your number three was falcor yeah so that takes us to number two conrad i'm going to give you the first go at number two uh, my number two is battle cat from he-man Oh, I don't even remember Battle Cat, and I was a huge human fan. I don't remember. Re- remind me, refresh my memory. Connor. Battle Cat, it's like you know, the He Man rides him. He's green with orange stripes. I had a Battle Cat. He's even got like this armor <laughs> and like a little saddle, and like he helps. You know, he basically like helps him, uh, helps him defend Eternia, and then then. There's the other one, which is uh, Skeletor's cat, which is, you know, basically in, when um, when you bought these action figures, Skeletor's cat was pretty much Battle Cat, but covered in, like, purple velvet, <laughs> which his cat was Panther, which, you know, Panther actually looked cooler, but, you nice. know, what can you say? Uh, but, yeah, no, these were two awesome animal sidekicks, um, so... You know, I think uh, I think he belongs on the list. You know, I recently learned that uh, the company that made He-Man was Filmation, and they also made the Star Trek animated series, and they did a bunch of cartoons back then. And they were famously known for making cartoons on the cheap and making them quick and making them fast. So I think having He-Man and Skeletor both have a cat and then just like slightly different looking cats was probably one way in which they got those episodes made very quickly yeah. and made those toys very cheaply yes. probably too. Yes. Um, good pick. I have no memory of this, uh, but something I'm going to have to look up on YouTube a little bit more. Uh, my number two is Yoshi from Mario Brothers. Mm. Now, my favorite character to play in Mario Kart has to be Yoshi. I think Yoshi is super cute, super adorable, even though he's kind of like this dinosaur um, yeah. creature. <laughs> but um, I think as a, as a true companion or sidekick, Mario is able to do so much more with the assistance of Yoshi than than he can on his own. And I think Yoshi has also had some grand adventures um, on different Nintendo systems, different solo adventures, and just uh, just a really cool sidekick. So Yoshi is my number two pick. Cool. Um, so my number one, I, I went into more recent times. There's a lot of stuff on my honorable mention. Yep. Um, yep. And I know that a lot of people consider Chewbacca to be an animal sidekick. I don't because I think he's just an alien sidekick. I am so glad you're saying that. Um, so this is I couldn't. I, do, I to could not do you. that, yeah, and I yeah, just. Yeah, yeah. I know we're gonna. I just know because he is a sentient 
being and so are all these animals, but not Chewbacca is different. Um, so yeah. my number one are the dire wolves from Game of Thrones. Oh, great pick. Um, because these definitely play such a huge role in the show. Uh, Ghost especially, which is Jon Snow's uh, dire wolf. Um, they are integral to the story. They they start out the story. And so I had to put them in there. I, I'm hoping we see a lot more of them in the next season. I I hope so, too. Um, that's, that's a good pick. Uh, they are such a core part of that story. And, uh, I love dogs and dire wolves are like amazing, awesome wolves things. So I, I like it. A uh, good pick. My number one pick is Remy from Ratatouille. Oh, that's a good one. Right. So I kind of struggle with this. He's too. not really a sidekick though, is he? No, well, kind of. I mean, he does help out. Um, I think it's uh, Gash- Gashto or Gaston or whatever the uh, the human is. Uh, oh no, no, that's not. I don't. I forget who he helps, but he he helps that boy who isn't the best chef. So in, right. in, uh, maybe the human is a sidekick to Remy, but um, he's an animal, uh, and I like that character. Um, I think the the film is is one of the uh, is one of the great Pixar films that does achieve so much more than than what appears on on the surface, and I thought that um, I thought it was just fantastic. Um, I really liked that film. But where I struggled with this list, Conrad, is what do we consider to be a sentient creature? Um, well, see, and- this is the thing. I generally just feel like. Uh, you know, overall, like this is the thing. Talking about canine, I'm not sure if he is or not. You know, like sure. So probably a little bit of a cheat because I'm not sure. But when we're talking about Chewbacca specifically, Chewbacca is an alien. I don't really count him as you know. Even though Han Solo calls him a walking carpet all the time, there is a Wookiee planet. They have a Wookiee culture. Yeah, Kashuk so exists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not the same as some of this other stuff. As um, we've seen in the Star Wars holiday special. Indeed. <laughs> um, but, you know, but there's also there's also a lot of things that could have made the list, like Hedwig in Harry Potter. Hedwig's a great choice. Um, yeah. You know, uh, like... I was like, thinking of Crypto, the super dog from Superman. Yeah. Uh, um, also the cockroach in Wall-E. I thought nice. was a nice little sidekick. Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. Be- and Puss in Boots is probably a good one, too. Yeah, another one. Um, yeah, the dog in Up was another one I really liked. Um, any other honorable mention for you, Conrad? Um, I, I'm sure we could honestly go on forever and ever in terms of this, but yeah, I think that that's, that pretty much rounds out the list, but I would love to hear what other people have to say about this. Dear listeners, please let us know what are some of your favorite animal sidekicks and companions. You can reach us at NerdHour on Twitter. We also have a website, NerdHour.com. And lastly, you can email us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. We would also love to talk to you guys about Ant-Man. And Conrad, where can people reach you and how can people find some of your other work? On uh, the Twitters, I am Die Prince, and then you can listen to my reanimated podcast with my buddy Stuart Tiffin, which talks about all things zombie and horror. So that's Reanimated PCAST on the Twitters and re- reanimatedpodcast.com elsewhere. 
There are ways in which ants can be infiltrated by zombie-like Oh, yes, and we have talked about this many times. In fact, there's this really great book out there that they are now making a film of, and the book's called uh, The Girl with All the Gifts. Ooh. And the film the film is called something very strange and different um, than that, and I don't know why. Um, the Girl Without the Gifts is maybe because it refers to Pandora and Pandora's box um, is my guess. I don't really know. Mm. Mm-hmm. But uh, Glenn Close is one of the leads in the film. And, oh, wow. Yeah, but the whole premise of the story is based upon that uh, fungus that takes over ants. And what would happen if it did so with humans? So it's pretty good. Oh my gosh, that's that sounds amazing and frightening. It's terrifying, <laughs> honestly, but it is it is a pretty interesting story. You should te- check it out or listen to it if you get a chance. Well, and I am at Olimatu on Twitter. You can also find me at BrainKnowsBetter.com where I talk about the psychology of science fiction. And if you go to the thepsychshow.com, that'll take you to my YouTube channel where I make psychology fun and easy to understand. Um, Conrad, that was a ton of fun talking about Ant-Man. And you know what? I think the insect world is going to continue to live long and prosper far into the future. Indeed.